Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Hi, you guys. Happy Saturday, everyone. I apologize ahead of time for all the football fans. I, I am not one of them. So it's hard for my empathy to connect, but I have friends that are one of them. So my, my heart sees your sacrifice, okay? <laughs> so let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> you are just wave after wave of everything good. Wow. And we... We just can't help but be impressed by you and overwhelmed by the beauty of who you are. And, man, 24 hours of every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, for a 120 years would never be enough. And I'm just so thankful for eternity that even in 10,000 lifetimes, it would not be long enough for all the songs we have to sing, for all the joy that's caught up in our heart over the beauty of who you are. Night and day, day and night, let incense arise that here we are, your people, your offering, and we can't shout it enough. We can't help but surrender every little second because we've tasted and we've seen that you are good. And in 10,000 years, we will just be getting started with what needs to come out of our soul in love with you. In 10,000 years, our song will just be picking up the pace. So day and night, night and day, let incense arise. We are your worship. Here we are, Jesus. And and we can't think of a better thing to do with our life than to be the aroma of a resurrected Jesus. Than to be the aroma of all of our crowns thrown down at your feet. Look what you've done in our lives. Look what you've done. Only a a God of hope could do that. Only a God of the impossible could do that. I, I remember being 16, all alone, swallowed up by pain, with a pile of pills in my hand. I wanted to be finished. Look what you've done with my life. 
Years of counseling can't do that. I'm one of the happiest people I know. <laughs> Only a God who redeems can do that. You take the most broken, wounded, traumatized, rejected places in our soul and you turn them into a spring of hope. <laughs> Only a God who's eternal, who's seated on high, who put every enemy under his feet can do that. And it would take us 10,000 lifetimes to just get started about the beauty of who you've been in our life. You are all you promised you would be. You are everything we dreamt a God would be. We, we've come tonight because we are ruined by you. We, we've actually stopped caring about what happens to our life because you're here. Come what may, I found why I'm alive. It's not in success, it's not in a status, it's not for an ambition. We're alive for your presence. We keep falling in love with you. Over and over and over. Because you are the most irresistible person we know. That look in your eye and we are just undone. You have all of our heart for all of our days without reservation. We, we love to surrender all. It's the joy of our life. You know, when I, when I was just praying over this time and just asking Jesus what he wanted to do, I just, I just really felt like he said, I want to encourage my people. And I just see him walking up and down the aisles, just encouraging, strengthening sitting beside his people to bring strength and courage. And so just open up your heart and just receive every ounce of encouragement that is set aside just for you tonight. And, you know, we're, we're going to be in, in Joshua. We're going to start in Joshua 5. And, you know, I've been thinking the last couple days. A couple months ago, I got up early in the morning. It was still dark outside, and the house was quiet, so it was really early. And I had, like, one eye open because I was still making my coffee, you know. And I grabbed a jar to, to fill up you know, for my morning glass of water. I'm all about habitual health habits. And so I, I fill up the jar, and as the water is filling in the jar, the bottom of the glass just fell off. Like, 
just fell off. And I thought, this is so bizarre. I know this has to be a holy moment. You know, like, I've been filling glasses of water for 35 years, and the bottom has never felt off, fell off. That's a lot of glasses of water. And so I just stood there waiting while the water was just <laughs> spilling through the jar, just like one eye open, confused. I hadn't had my coffee, you know? And I felt the father say, there's no bottom to me, and there won't be a bottom to you. And, you know, I, I feel like the Lord is handing out encouragement. If you feel like the bottom has fallen off, you know that phrase, the bottom fell out? It, and, you, you know, the enemy wants to tell you this is about to be the worst season of your life because the bottom just fell out of that relationship. The bottom just fell out of your finances. The bottom just fell out of your health. The bottom just fell off your life. And the end of you is just the beginning of you. <laughs> the end of your finances is the beginning of your finances. Because you are actually wired and designed to live without a lid and to live without a bottom. And, you know, this is a season of seeing the bottom falling out and being the ridiculous people that get excited when we get to the end of ourselves, I get excited when I get to the end of my resources because I haven't been called to sustain my life. I haven't been called to contain goodness inside of my life. I've been, I've been called to live bottomless. <laughs> I've been called to have no end to the abundant life that is pumping through me. And Jesus promised, he promised over us, new covenant believers, that out of our belly would flow rivers of living water. And you are to be a container no longer. We're no longer in a visitational covenant. We are in a habitational covenant that doesn't have a lid. It's ongoing. You don't have to bottle up the best day of his presence you've ever had. You don't have to bottle up that tiny bit of hope that's getting you through. You don't have to bottle up your pennies and hang to them like a widow. You just let the bottom fall out and step into supernatural supply. This is a season of resurrected hope. You know, and in the blank space, when you don't know what's coming two feet away. That's when we're in a war on our hope. And this is a season not to brace yourself for the worst, but to posture yourself for wild goodness that you never could have planned out on your best day of dreaming. That hope is going to run you over like a Mack truck. And and, you know, it's already crumbled to pieces anyways. So let's not try to glue the jar back together. Let's just roll with what the Father's doing. Let's just open wide arms of surrender. And see, I would rather go out looking like a crazy person than die pushed into a corner fearing for my life. We are the people who get excited 
that's why she was a widow. And she, her, she was super poor. And her sons were about to be sold into slavery. And, and Elijah said, what, what can I do for you? And, and she said, I need, I need my sons. And he said, what do you have? And you know, you know what, what poverty always wants to ask you first is what don't you have? What, what is missing in your house? You're missing all sorts of stuff. Let's talk about what you're missing. Let's talk about the deficits in your life. Let's talk about what you don't have. And you know what the kingdom says? The kingdom says, what do you have? What is in your possession? We have a whole lot of stuff. And, and she said, I have a tiny bit of oil. And so he said, go gather all the flasks you can. You remember this story, 2 Kings 4? And so she goes to all of her neighbors and gathers up all the flasks. And she starts pouring out the oil. And the oil does not run out until the flasks run out. And, you know, I have, I, I have never met anyone that got to the end of their life and said, I, would, I wish I wouldn't have expected so much. <laughs> oh, gosh, seven flasks were filled. I wish I only would have got six. She was not thinking in that moment, I'm bummed I, I got seven. She was thinking, ah, oh, if only I could have had a hundred more. If only I could have gathered 10,000 more flasks when she saw it doesn't run out. And, you know, faith isn't sitting there waiting for supernatural supply just to magically fill the flasks. She had to pick up the tiny bit of oil and start pouring. And when we actually value what's in our possession, we step into supernatural supply. And, you know, this new covenant is, it, you know, oil often throughout the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. And you are to be a flask no longer. The oil of the Holy Spirit just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring out of your belly that you don't have to bottle it up, that you don't have to be, you know, reserved in your expression of what he has given you. That, that New Testament believers are a prophetic picture of the endless supply of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we're going to talk today about Joshua and just the people of God taking the promised land. And, you know, in chapter 5, Moses had just died and Joshua was like the guy anointed for the job, you know. And, and it says in chapter 5, verse 12, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land. And, you know, the manna had dried up. And their source of nourishment, their source of life was dependent on their taking the promised land. Like their, their hunger, 
Their appetite was supposed to propel them into their inheritance. And, you know, in, in the old covenant, this was literal land. And in the new covenant, our inheritance is the presence. It's the literal kingdom of heaven put inside of you with unending borders, unending supply. And you actually have an appetite in there that is supposed to propel us to face any giant, confront any wall, knowing that is my land, that is my inheritance. And, and the manna dried up so that they would be compelled for a fruit they'd never tasted before. Milk they didn't, they didn't even know was their portion. Honey that they were just trusting was in the land. And, you know, Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my, what, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And, you know, this was Jesus stepping into Old Testament history, standing in front of Joshua. And, you know, his response, are you for us or for our adversaries, was just, no. <laughs> and he was coming he was coming from a different reality, you know, that there would be a day when your battle would no longer be against flesh and blood, when taking territory would no longer be a man against a man, a woman against a woman, but it would be about principalities. It would be about spirits. It would be about darkness tormenting the people of God. Our battle wouldn't be against flesh and blood. And, you know, the first war is always the war over our worship. Who, who gets the sandals off of our feet and our face plastered to the ground? And, and Joshua was yielding to the presence of the Lord, you know, right out the gate. And it says in chapter 6, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six, day, six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast... When you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. <laughs> if you could, you know, this is one of our most beloved Old Testament stories that we just adore, that this is our heritage, this is our history. You know, if you could imagine being Joshua fresh out the gate, 
you know, and he, he just has his team assembled, and they're like, so how are we going to take the land? Because we're hungry. And he's like, well, we're going to march around the city seven times. And, and then on the seventh time, we're going to blow trumpets, and we're going to shout, and then the walls are going to fall down. And, you know, like, that is not a brilliant military strategy. Like, that, that isn't, like, wise military plan, you know? And Joshua had already determined who would get his worship. Who, who gets to define where I go and when I do it and how I say it? He, he had already laid prostrate before the Lord and said, you define me. You know, Jesus stepped on the scene in, in the New Testament and said, I don't receive glory from people. <laughs> like the king of glory. I don't receive glory from people. People will never define who I am, how I am, what I am. My Father, my God, who I worship is the one who has, I've reserved the definition of me. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. And so Joshua just releases the, the plan of the Lord. And, and he says, there's going to be no talking. You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. And I just, I just wonder if he was just trying to guard his own soul from walking by the whispers of others. You know, like... This is our leader. This guy has lost his senses. Like, these walls were so massive that Rahab built her house inside. It, like, she was, people were living in the wall. Like, living room, coffee table, refrigerator, in the wall. And they're going to walk around it seven times and then blow a trumpet and shout. And people have built their entire life inside the structure. And, you know, what, what we do in the space between the promise and, and the delivery is our hope. It's our hope. We can brace ourselves for the worst, or we could get our hopes ridiculously up about what's about to go down. And, you know, sometimes in the silence, we need to hear what the enemy is saying. We need to hear what's going on on the other side of this wall. What, what is the chatter about your God? What is the chatter about this land? They're not going to make it past here. This land doesn't belong to them. This, this wall is indestructible. It's been here for generations. This thing is not coming down. What, what is the sound of your enemy in the silence? You know, David found out what the giant was saying when he got close enough to hear. He's taunting. He is taunting my God. <laughs> and, you know... I, I, I remember, I'll never forget, the day I realized 
a giant was pushing me away into a corner, trying to get me to live off of a tiny piece of land when I was created for all the inheritance that Jesus purchased. That's what you were created for. And, uh, you know, I I remember I was about to see an extended family member that I hadn't seen in years. And when I was young, I loved this family member and had an encounter that I felt super violated by this family member and felt deeply impacted by their poor choices towards me. And as a young girl, the culture inside of myself was, you just like, pretend like nothing happened. So I, I, I remember just growing up thinking elephants in the room like were very normal. <laughs> you know, like, what is, what is that smell? Like, oh, that's just, that's just the aroma of life. Elephant poop, you know? Like, oh, I can barely see you over there because of all that's been pushed under the rug. But this is great. This is great living around this elephant after elephant after elephant. It's like an elephant tribe. And, you know, I was pregnant with my first baby, and I was going to be seeing this person for the first time after years of just getting super, a a measure of freedom that I didn't know existed inside my heart. And I felt great with this person. I felt whole, I felt free, I felt love. And the Holy Spirit started pushing on my heart, you need to have a conversation with him. And and nothing inside of me thought that was a good idea. (laughs) Like, I... I feel fine. I feel whole. I feel, I feel like that is not necessary, you know? And I remember processing with my husband, and he, he, you know, confrontation is like his strong suit. Telling the truth is his strong suit. And he's like, this would totally be the healthy thing to do. And I'm like, I, I know it's the healthy thing to do, but actually, I feel great capping out right here. You know, like, if this is as healthy as I'll ever be, I feel healthier than I've ever felt. And I actually feel fine with this measure of healthiness. And, and all, you know, all the thoughts in my mind could not compel me to, to do this thing I had zero desire to do. Like awkward words, like spilling out of your mouth. You know, like that's zero fun. (laughs) And so I'm laying in bed one night. I've got this huge belly, and we're like two weeks away from this trip out of town. And I feel again just the fire of the Holy Spirit on my heart and saying, I'd really like you to have this conversation. This, This is a significant conversation, you know, and just thinking, it's really not that big of a deal in the context of the rest of my history. And in thinking, well, if it's not that big of a deal, then why, why won't you have the conversation? Like, that, that's not like a super good argument, you know? And, and I just remember genuinely what erupted out of my heart was, I feel like you're, you're asking me to get up and run. And I look down and I literally have no legs. 
I feel like what you're asking me to do feels impossible. I can't even begin to imagine myself having that type of conversation. And, you know, I remember that night him saying, you know what, if you don't have this conversation, I'm not going to love you less. I'm not going to love you more. But the way that you feel right now, pushed into a corner, like you don't have a voice, like you're trapped, that, that giant that has been taunting you for years of your life will find its way down your lineage like it has for generations. And I will, I will show up to that girl in your womb and I will set before her the same option I'm setting before you. And she'll have to decide if she'll face the giant or run and hide. And I... You know, 10,000 arguments could not motivate me. And in that moment, 10,000 yes bursts inside because we're designed to have a why that's bigger than ourselves. We're designed to live for people we will never see. Listen, my great, great grandkids might never know my laugh, my smile, the sound of my voice. But they will reap benefits from the way that I have lived my life. And, you know, that night I said, if this thing kills me, I will give my dying breath to be able to look in her eyes and know I hunted that thing down. There was no way on my watch was that thing going to be left roaming my land. And I would rather this thing take me out than to know I lived in a safe corner in a portion of my land. And, you know, sometimes you have to get close enough to that thing to realize this just isn't an issue. This just isn't, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. This is a spirit that's probably been in your generational line from the beginning of time all the way back from the garden. And Jesus has been pacing your generational line looking who will step up to the plate, who will believe that I am sufficient, who will believe that I didn't design you to live in a corner for all the days of your life, who will rise up and take the land. If it kills you, let it kill you. And you know, we will never get to where we're going if we are not living for something bigger than ourselves. You can't do it for you. I'm fine tapping out if it's for me. You've got to reach down and see your life matters. And your life, every decision you make, is telling a story about who you believe your God to be. And the most beautiful thing we pass to the next generation and the next generation is a God who's real. A God who is who he says he is. And, you know, Joshua started circling the land. And they said nothing for seven days. Not one word. And sometimes the most courageous thing you can do is stop talking. (laughs) Because you're blowing up that giant. Like, does he realize? I mean, these walls are towering over us. Does he know a trumpet can't do that? 
Does he know our voices can't do that? And what, what you magnify with your mouth will have your heart. And sometimes when you are in the middle of the biggest battle of your life, the best thing to do is just stop talking. If it is magnifying a demon, we have to have a language that sees that thing as a chewed up piece of gum under the feet of Jesus. That our language would magnify, oh, these walls are totally coming down. Just give us seven days. Just give, just give yourself seven days and you can't help but see victory on the other side. And you know, the trumpets in this story that were used were not the trumpets that would call men of war to war. They weren't the trumpets that military used to gather warriors. These trumpets were the trumpets used on the day of Jubilee. <laughs> the day where slaves were set free. The day when you, your debt was piled so high you couldn't even swim to the top of your life. It was on that day that debts were set free, that captives were unbound from their chains. It was the day when the goodness of God was seen, the kindness of God, the empathy of God, the love of God. And you know, on the seventh day, they heard the sound that I'm sure was one of the most beloved sounds in their culture, the, the sound of freedom. And if you could imagine what would naturally come out of hearing that sound on Jubilee, streams of tears, cheering, freedom, open air. I can breathe again. I can think about a future again. There's more in store for me. All of those sounds were erupting out of the people of God when they heard that trumpet. And so on this day, the walls were going to fall down in response to the people of God releasing a shout to the trumpet of Jubilee. Wow, that's incredible. And you know, the, Jesus steps onto the scene in, in Luke chapter 4, in, in verse 16, and he says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So he steps into the synagogue and he proclaims the favorable year of the Lord is here. He's saying, I am your jubilee. I am your freedom. I am your life. I am the sound of captives being 
set free. I am the sound of chains falling off of eyes. I am the sound of resurrection and life. And, you know, he gathered all of his disciples together at one point, and it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And what we've got to see is that we are an instrument in the hand of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is breathing through your life to release a sound. And it's the sound of jubilee. It's the sound of the trumpet blowing of Jesus, the resurrected hope that says nothing is impossible. The sound of guilt being completely wiped away, the sound of shame being undone in every single life, that we are the instrument of the Lord. And what, whatever is pushing you in a corner and stifling that sound coming off of your life is your enemy, is the giant roaming your land. And, you know, at the, at the beginning of this year, there was all these prophetic words going out about 2017 being the year of supernatural breakthrough, the year of ridiculous breakthrough. And I, I have experienced that this year in, in ways that I never saw coming. And I, I just want to remind us that this year is not over, and you are not behind, and this, this is your year of ridiculous breakthrough. And you know, the, the 17th day in, in a little baby chick, I can't think of breakthrough and not think of a little baby chick in an eggshell. You know, and right around the 17th year, the mama hen steps off the egg. And every normal that that chick has ever known from the comfort of the hen is totally removed. But, but the hen is more attentive to that chick than ever before. And, you know, what a tragedy when you are on the brink of your breakthrough, on the brink of your breakthrough, and we buy the lie that the Father is gone. <laughs> the Father has stepped away from me. No, you are on the brink of the biggest breakthrough on, of your life, and he wants a front row seat because he knows what he put inside of you. He knows that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you, and you were born for more than an eggshell. You were born for life outside the shell. You've got legs in there. You've got feathers in there. You've got a beak in there. The egg uses none of those. And it takes days for that chick to break out of the shell, and it grows an egg tooth just for the purpose of getting out of that shell. And it takes diligence in, in, in your mouth is your breakthrough. What you proclaim to be true about life outside of the shell, about what really happens when the bottom falls out, about who is really inside of you, about the territory that really is your inheritance. And, you know, I remember the day had finally come when we were, you know, I on this trip, seeing this relative, and I'm a mess the whole time. Just awkward the whole time because all I can think about is 
I'm going to die. This conversation <laughs> is going to kill me, and it's worth it. You know, I decided it's worth it. It did not make me any less terrified having a why, you know? And so I literally waited until he's like, babe, we have to go. So it's now or never. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, my husband was with me, and we stepped into this side room, and, and I... I literally just started opening my mouth and just watched incredibly awkward words fall out of my mouth. Oh my God. You know, and you know, your forgiveness can only go as deep as your truth. And if you wash over the reality of your story, you will wash over the reality of mercy. You will wash over the reality of a grace that can go that deep. And if, if, you know, pretending is not forgiveness. <laughs> well, I forgave him. But if we say nothing, that's not forgiveness. That's just pretending. <laughs> and, you know, so I just told the whole awkward truth. And then I, I said, but I I want you to know I forgive you. And when you look back over your life, I want you to look at me with no regret. I want you to think of me and smile. Like I want you to know I honor you. I love you so much. And I bless who you are. And, you know, this grown, weathered man was just weeping, and I just wrapped my arms around him, and I, I felt like I was running without legs. I felt for the first time in my life, you know, I had had repetitive dreams from my childhood that I, I was trying to help someone in the dream, and, and someone was choking out my breath, and I would try to say something, and, and I could speak nothing. It, it, it happened season after season in different forms, and I, I remember getting in the car and for the first time feeling like the chick who had just broken out of the shell. Oh my gosh, babe, look at the grass. Have you ever seen grass like that? Oh, look at the sky. Look at the air. This is why I'm alive. I have a voice. I have something to say. You know, and the, the lie that I was born for a corner of my space was being ripped off my life. And 11 years later, I'm just getting started with the inheritance that is mine. And you know, every time I speak in secret or from a stage, it's not first about helping others or encouraging the body of Christ. It's that I am the reward of Jesus Christ. I am the reward of his suffering. My life is a releasing a sound that says hope is alive. Nothing is impossible. He is the redeemer and the restorer of every broken thing. You were born for more than this. I am the sound that torments the enemy because I am carrying the sound as an instrument in the hand of the Holy Spirit that says hope is more alive than ever before. And that is 
the call of God on your life. If you are a born-again believer, your destiny is to torment the enemy for the rest of your life with your intimacy with Jesus. And whatever he is putting his finger on in the dark of the night, you can do it. You can break through. You're, you're right around the corner. If you dropped it, if you thought, I'm just going to die in this shell, pick it back up. If you've tried 1,000 times, try 1,001. If you, if you have thought, I can't do it, do it anyway. If you feel like you're being asked to run and you have no legs, just fall out of the wheelchair. You have more inside of you than you could dream possible on your best day because he hid the kingdom in there. And the enemy is terrified that we would find out. He's terrified that you were discovered, that you, your life is to release a sound that sets captives free. The sound of jubilee and that no part of who you are would be pushed inside of a corner. The dogs of doom, Chris Valentin said, bark at the door of your destiny. So wherever the fear is, just go build your life right in the middle of it. Whatever is terrifying you, run towards it with all your might. Because right around the corner of that wall is the tree you're supposed to eat from day and night. Right around the corner of that wall is, is water you never knew could look that way. It's land, it's territory that belongs to you. That, that is better than we could dream up on our best day. And we are just getting started. We cannot exhaust the inheritance of Jesus Christ. It will take eternity to discover all that he purchased on our behalf. But let's not get to the end of our life and, and wish we would have known what was ours. Let's just spend it all ridiculously risking that that could actually be mine. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And, you know, let's just, let's just end with just one song. Do you guys know that song, um, As the Deer Pants for Water? Can you sing that out really loud? Yes. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.